North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another season of Dr. Low Radio, where you hear the very best in natural medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, and thank you for joining me tonight. It's been a little bit since our last show. Missed you guys. I have a really great lineup of topics and guests for this new year, and I think you'll really, really enjoy them, especially tonight's show. If you guys aren't familiar with my show and want to know a little bit more about me, you can visit drlaurennoel.com. I work with patients locally in San Diego and all over the country. So if you aren't feeling well and you just can't seem to find the answers, or if you just really want someone to help you on the road to getting healthier, check me out. I'd love to help you get there. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash drlaurennoel. And on Twitter, I'll be checking Twitter tonight too, twitter.com slash Noel. And, of course, you always can call in and ask questions. It's a great opportunity to have some really, really great health answers. The number is 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. Tonight's show is all things fat loss. You know, the grim reality is we are the fattest country in the world. It's really not making headline news anymore. We pretty much know that. And for many of us, we've tried so many things, and we're just not getting the results that we like, and there's so much conflicting information, so it's very confusing, and I get it. I hear it all the time from patients. Or maybe you've had really amazing results, but you just have a few stubborn pounds that just won't budge, and there could be something to that, something kind of hidden from your view that you just don't really know what it is. And so that's why we have experts like our guest joining us tonight. So tonight we have Dr. Jay Tita. He is an integrative physician. He's an author of The Metabolic Effects Diet and creator and founder, along with his brother, Keone Tita, of the international health and fitness company, Metabolic Effect. You can check them out at metaboliceffect.com. They are just so, so wonderful. And he is a repeat guest on the show, so I'm really looking forward to the show. So, Jade, thank you so much for joining me again. Hey, Lauren. How are you? <laughs> I'm wonderful. Me. How are you? I'm doing very good. Excited to be talking to you, so thanks for having me back. Yeah, and it's late for you, so thanks for staying up so late. Oh, yeah, you know, I could talk about this stuff in my sleep. I love it. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it. So, yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah, what's what's new in your world, man? I haven't talked to you in a while. Well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, a lot's going on, actually. I mean, obviously for you and I, and, you know, uh, the New Year's is is tough because everyone's, Everyone's, you know, looking to get healthier and lose weight, so it's a great time to be having this discussion. Keone and I are working on our second book um, right at the moment, actually, getting ready to start shopping that around, so that's exciting for us. And then for me personally, man, I really had a rough year as far on the, on the fat loss front, which, uh, you know, gained a little bit of weight, which a lot of times I like to share that with uh, clients because um, we all sort of go through ups and downs. This is a journey. We're not all perfect, and one of the things I I think I want to talk about tonight is the idea of taking that journey, Um, you know, and it's, uh, to me, when I get to a place like this, when I kind of go, um, you know, sort of off the rails a little bit, gain a little bit of weight, I am different than most people, I think, because, you know, you and I kind of work with 
clients like this. For me, it's always, you know, sort of um, an interesting time because obviously I'm not happy. I wish I was in better shape. But I also know that whenever I reach these times in my life, I make a big jump, you know, so I'm looking forward to, you know, sort of what I've learned about myself in the last, uh, you know, year and sort of moving forward, sort of playing fat loss detective. Um, And that's a lot of what I feel like we need to be doing as a culture to keep us on track. I'm someone who, you know, really struggles with my weight sort of naturally. And that's been the way that uh, I've been able to conquer this for myself and help my patients do it as well. So I think it's a really good time of the year to sort of be having this discussion and to hopefully talk about it finally in a different way for some of those people who are who have been struggling and are really thinking, hey, this is the year, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's 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 interesting. You you say that you know it's something that you've kind of been dealing with yourself because even for myself, I noticed that I have been putting on a couple extra pounds, and I I generally really like I really don't have a, a body complex. I like curves. I like having hips. I like having a butt. Like I'm all about it. But I do notice that I I put on a couple more pounds, and so for me it's kind of a barometer. Like okay, I've been more stressed lately. I I see that I've eaten more foods that I probably shouldn't be eating, but I know for me it is cortisol. You know, I got this stress thing going on so it's it's like a, a nice body message okay i'm noticing i'm not looking as slim i need to cut back on a lot of the um you know a lot of the stresses in my life so i take it more like you know as a message rather than oh i need to feel bad about myself i gotta go on a crash diet you kind of do the same thing it's like a message yeah absolutely and i think you know, i think what you're sort of speaking to a couple a couple gems that uh, i think people your listeners can kind of get from this conversation. One of them is that this idea that um, there are, you know, perfect professionals out there like you and I that do things right all the time is Mm -hmm. really a myth. We all have our sort of own struggles. And if we're not struggling with weight, we're probably struggling in some other area of our life, you know. So this idea that people who are overweight are sort of, you know, lazy gluttons is wrong. Uh, You look at other areas of their lives and they, you know, function and focus and do amazing things that those of us who are more lean probably couldn't do. That's a big sort of um, takeaway. And if you're struggling with weight issues, I think that's the first step to sort of getting on board this process rather than getting on, you know, another diet that you do until February, March, and then fall off. And then the other thing that you said, so that's a mindset shift that we all need Mm -hmm. to begin to make, and I hope we can talk about it a little bit. And then the other thing, um, that you mentioned, Lauren, that I think is absolutely critical, is that when we have these conversations, you know, right now there's probably, you know, several of these calls going on every single day for the next couple months on fat loss with <laughs> experts like you and I on the line, right? And what right. almost all of them are talking about is diet and exercise. And almost what everybody on the line is looking for is more diet and exercise tips. But stress and sleep don't have calories and we know they dramatically impact us, and that is a large part of what um, I dealt with this year, what you're saying you dealt with this year, and what I'm betting most of the people talking uh, are listening on the line dealt with as well. And so this idea of stress physiology impacting our ability to lose weight and stay lean and even make the right choices uh, is profound, and it's something that people do not discuss and they should be. And that's the thing mm-hmm. that you know, I know you and I do in our practice. It's something that we do every single day. And it's something that uh, people need to learn how stress is impacting us 
how uh, it's not just about food and exercise. It's not just about calories in, calories out. Those things matter, and they matter a lot, but stress and those factors matter just as much, if not more, for some people, and we need to be having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's so much more. And I, I, you probably wish everyone knew that about fat loss, right, more than just calories in, calories out. I really do because, I mean, I think the thing that when people hear me talk, you know, those are uh, people who don't know me, I kind of have this reputation in this world of fat loss as being anti-calories. You know, essentially I think people get the wrong idea that I say calories don't matter, which is not true. Calories absolutely do matter. What I am saying, and I think what a lot of people can, you know, just look in your own life and attest to is that stress, sleep, these things, our day-to-day lives, our behaviors, the people around us, our social support networks, they dramatically impact whether we're motivated to go work out, whether we're hungry or have cravings or have the energy and to do the things that we need to do. In other words, this idea that it's just about willpower and food and calories is wrong. There's much more that goes into uh, the complicated machinery of the human metabolism. So from my point of view, um, I say that, you know, hormones matter just as much, if not more than calories. And if you think about it this way, if you were eating a diet that uh, made you satisfied, did, you know, kept you from getting cravings, and uh, had high, you had high energy, and you were around a social support system of individuals who made healthy fat loss choices every day, would you not be uh, able to stay on a lifestyle plan that gave you a lean body for life? Probably, right? But we know that that's not necessarily the life we live in. And what people think is that rather than deciding for themselves that they need to create that lifestyle, they instead go out and think there's some diet plan that's going to create it for them. And that's Mm -hmm. where they go wrong. We need to be looking and saying, all right, it's not just about picking up a book that tells me uh, what to eat and what not to eat and what exercise program to do. It is about designing my life in a way that makes all of this possible and makes me vital and gives me high energy and takes away my hunger and makes it so I'm not craving a pint of Haagen-Dazs at night. That's how we need to be looking at this problem, through the lens of that. In other words, every reaction, you know, every action has, you know, a compensatory reaction in the body. If you uh, you know, skip breakfast in the morning or have breakfast in the morning and what you eat for breakfast in the morning or don't eat for breakfast in the morning is going to impact whether you are motivated to train later in the day or what you might or may not have at dinner. Those kinds mm-hmm. of things are things that people just don't understand and they need to understand. And it's complicated because it is somewhat different for all of us. And so that mm-hmm. is uh, what we're talking about here. And I hope tonight I can give... Uh, you know, your listeners some tips about where to start because what one of the things that happens with us humans is we crave certainty. You know, it's one of the key needs of the human brain is certainty. We want certainty so bad, and we get totally stressed out and freaked out if we don't have certainty. And that's why we, you and I, Lauren, get questions like, hey, can I have this food or that food? Or what about quinoa? Can I have that? Or what about this food? Can I eat that? Or I ate this and that didn't work. What about this? And that's all the questions that people want because they crave certainty. Well, one of the things that has to happen is you need to start getting comfortable with uncertainty so you can start figuring out your metabolism. And I'd like to give people frameworks. I consider it my mission to help people get off diets 
and start learning their metabolism. And there are some key mm-hmm. tools that we all can use uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, let's let's just kind of take a few steps back now. So where where does the I mean. Where does a person start in this whole journey? You know, I mean, I'm sure people listening to it, they're like, they're excited, there's information, they're hungry for it, but, like, where can they start, you know? Right. Well, I think the first place to start is to simply, instead of of saying, you know what, I want to go, you know, um, buy, you know, Jade's book, you know, or I want to go buy uh, some other person's diet book. I heard about, you know, intermittent fasting. I heard about the Atkins diet or my friend went on the vegetarian diet. I think before you do any of that, you sort of have to stop and sort of look at yourself and say, you know what, when I feel at my best and when I um, am losing weight or when I feel like I'm balanced in terms of hunger and not having cravings and have high energy, what is it that I'm eating, right? How is it that I'm eating? Am I eating frequently, six meals a day, or am I eating infrequently, maybe three meals a day or less? Am I exercising every day like a fiend, or am I only lifting weights three times a week? You know, basically the first thing is to take stock of what works for you. And what I would say is the place to start is to understand the signals. I call them biofeedback clues that your body is sending you. And there's a bunch of them, but the key ones are how hungry are you day to day? What is your energy level like day to day? Are you starving all the time or is your hunger not there? Uh, Do you have high energy or low energy? Are you craving foods all the time at specific times? Like are you one of those people that's getting cravings for sugar every time after you eat? If that's the case, instead of thinking it's about your willpower, which is what your, you know, the local trainers and a lot of the people who write the popular diet books will tell you, you just don't have willpower and you need to follow their program. Instead, consider that you may not be feeding your metabolism the right way, giving your metabolism the right things. And once you start from that place, now you can start from sort of a place of structure where you basically say, I'm going to work to control hunger, I'm going to work to control cravings, and I'm going to work to raise my energy levels. And when that happens, typically you're not going to want to overeat. And so the place to start for most people is going to be to use foods that tend to make us less hungry, tend to balance blood sugar, tend to give us high energy, and tend to take away cravings. And those foods are usually, for most people, fiber-based foods, protein-based foods, or water-based foods, and foods that are relatively lower in starch and fat. For most people, that's the place to start. Now, some people can get away with you know, high-fat diets, and some other people can get away with high-starch diets. But if you start from that place, from a place of an adequate protein diet where you're eating as much lean proteins as you want, a high, very high vegetable and fruit diet, if you start from that place and you can balance hunger, energy, and craving, now you are starting from a place of strength where you can start to tweak and tinker with the starch and or fat intake of your diet. So in my mind, to escape the dieting you know, sort of world, there's two things you need to do. You need to first balance hunger, energy, and cravings, and second, check to see if you're losing fat. And once you have those two things in order, hunger, energy, and cravings are balanced, and you're losing fat, you have just discovered your fat loss formula. And Mm. that is what we each need to do. We need to find a program that fits our life rather than trying to fit our life to a program. When we do that, then we have a chance at lasting fat loss. 
if we don't do that, we're probably going to yo-yo again, just like 66% of the population. That's the numbers, by the way. 66% of the population that goes on a diet ends up not just regaining the weight, but ends up fatter two years after the fact. And it's because they're playing this game, this diet game, instead of playing sort of this detective game that I'm describing. And it is a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more complicated, but it works. Yeah, I love that. You know, you're actually listening to your body's clues rather than looking at the scale and just obsessing about a number because that doesn't give you any indication of your health. I mean, the fact is you could be losing tons and tons of weight for maybe something serious in the body. So just because you're losing weight doesn't mean you're getting healthier. And just because maybe you have a few extra pounds doesn't necessarily mean you're not healthy. There could just be something going on a little bit deeper that you need to uncover. So I love that. Yeah, and I love that you're making that distinction too about the health aspect because there is actually a third component um, and I think you're alluding to this, Lauren, and I'm glad you brought it up, but there is a third component, which is, you know, first, these biofeedback clues, hunger, energy, and cravings are the big ones. If they're balanced, that's essentially telling you that your metabolism is relatively happy, right? It's it's not slowing down. It's efficient. It's burning your fuel source as well. And then if you're getting fat loss results, which, you know, the best way to do that is just inches. And are you fitting into your jeans? And is your dress fitting and your skirts fitting you know, appropriately. And then the third thing is, is are you getting your blood labs done and seeing the changes in your vital health markers, you know, fasting blood sugar, insulin levels, lipids, things like that. Those are the three things that I use to measure, you know, health, fitness, and sort of body composition. You know, for those people who are listening, though, one of the things that I often hear um, when I have these discussions is that they, it really, again, the certainty need for the human brain, this starts stressing them out a little bit. Um, but I can guarantee you when you start to learn the rules of this game, um, you end up, you know, learning so much about your metabolism. Here's the major benefit because here's what happens. Um, and I know a lot of people probably on the line can relate to this. Uh, when you're younger, you tend to have certain things you do, and most of us, not all of us, because some of us have dealt with weight issues our whole lives. I'm, I'm one of the people who... I tend to put on muscle really well, but I put on fat well as well. But one of the things that happens when we're young, it's, it's relatively easy. If we tighten up, if we exercise more, you know, we get the results. But then maybe we have kids or we have, uh, you know, stressful, you know, you and I went to medical school, very stressful. That certainly changed my metabolism and changed my eating habits and sleep habits. Um, then we go through menopause and andropause, and we have all these changes. And guess what? Those old diet programs, those off-the-shelf programs that we used to do, no longer work. And then we get frustrated and we end up on this search for the program that works. And we try diet after diet after diet and program after program after program. If, back when we were in our early 20s, we learned the process that I'm describing to you now, if we learned that process and learned how to manage it and work with it, then every single time our metabolism changed or we had stress periods in our life or we had kids or we go through andropause or menopause, this program works or this process works to help you find your way again. And it's really, in my mind, the only real long-term solution to permanent body change for those of us who are on sort of that journey. Hmm. Now, let's say you're working with a patient or a client and you're, you're, your um, impression is that the cause of their fat gain or inability to, to lose weight is, is that you, you really see it that it's stress that really, like, for them, this is stress. You've identified it. What do you recommend for them? What are some of your favorite ways to, to you know, get that back? 
Yeah, well, it's really it's a really interesting question, right? Because um, everyone on the line probably has heard stress, 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 and we rarely get what to do about it. And so I'm going right. to help you sort of understand a little bit about, um, you know, what to do about stress. Um, the first thing to sort of understand is what stress is the metabolism. A lot of people think um, stress is emotional stress, but um, just because you're emotionally stressed does not mean the metabolism is stressed, okay? And, you know, so in other words, what I'm trying to say is you, your metabolism can be stressed out and you could be doing damage to your metabolism and not be emotionally sad or anxious. A great example of this is um, mothers with newborns. They're in a very blissful state. Um, you know, they have this new beautiful life around. They're extremely happy. The mood is wonderful. Everyone's around and everyone's sort of, sort of uh, just in awe over this new life. But their metabolism is stressed out. They're not sleeping. They're up constantly. They just went through this sort of traumatic childbirth event. Their body is taking a beating, not to mention that child just lived off all their nutrients and resources for the last nine months, right? So that's an example of stress. So we need to stop, first of all, thinking of stress as emotional. Stress can be uh, any type of stress. If you're someone who loves your job like I do this, this, you know, in 2012, and I'm working long hours and loving it and I'm staying up late because I'm engaged and happy, I'm still stressing my body. And so that's the first thing to know about stress. So when you see that that is part of what's going on with you, one of the things you have to understand is what does stress do to the metabolism? Well, one of the things that it does is stress turns on our sympathetic nervous system, our fight-or-flight nervous system. I know those are sort of scientific terms, but just think about it turns on our primitive state. So in, in psychology research, they actually say it puts us back into our default state, which means it gets us out of touch with our higher goals and motivations and in touch with more of our primal urges and things like that. So you might say, well, Jay, what does all that mean? What that means is when you're stressed, you're going to be hungrier. When you're stressed, you're going to have cravings. You're going to want salty, sweet, fatty things. You're going to want those things. And what you're really looking for is pleasure and relaxation. And so the first thing you need to understand if you're dealing with stress in your life is not to stress your body out further by saying, okay, now I'm going to eat less and exercise more because that is, uh, while it's healthy in, to some degree, that is another stress you're putting on your body. And so you have to understand what your body is after is relaxation and recovery. And so rather than eating less and exercising more being the primary way that you need to deal with your weight loss issues, you need to start putting time into rest and recovery making sure you're sleeping from 8 to 10 hours every night, making sure that you are doing restorative activities like leisure walking or tai chi or yoga or hot Epsom salt baths or sauna therapy, physical affection, laughter with friends. These kinds of things are all things that we see as separate and apart from body composition change when in reality these are the things that make uh, some of the biggest uh, impact. The problem with some of these activities is that some of them involve, in our culture, also when we relax, sitting around drinking wine and eating, you know, the wrong types of foods and things like that. So there is a balance there. However, you have to look beyond just doing excessive exercise and eating less, which can be another form of stress. And, and one of the things, and, you know, I meant to ask you this, Lauren, because you, you and I don't get to catch up too often, but one of the things I see a ton 
in my clinic, and um, every time I talk to a professional, um, it seems to be that this is coming up more and more for us, but something called metabolic damage or, Mm -hmm. you know, where people are coming into our offices and saying, I'm doing everything possible to lose weight, and I simply cannot. And they seem to be, for all intents and purposes, unless they're lying to us, to be in adequate caloric deficit and, you know, able to, you know, burn fat from that point of view, but it simply is not happening. And then we run all these tests on them, and we find some mild abnormalities in their thyroid, and we find some other things like that, and we start realizing that this is someone who has been through um, this chronic stress state, and they're no longer able to burn fat the same way. And we have to go to work on sort of fixing that, and that takes some time before they, the weight starts to come off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it a lot with, with people who have done a lot of yo-yo dieting or if they have been anorexic in their younger years, just the metabolism is just damaged and takes a lot of work. So what do you what do you do to uh, address that? Well, one of the first things you got to do is you have to start getting people to understand this idea of over-exercising and under-eating is not the way to go. And to kind of give um, the listeners on the line uh, an analogy that I really like is the seesaw analogy. So your metabolism is sort of like a seesaw. On one end of the seesaw, you've got your sympathetic, sort of stressed-out, nervous side of the nervous system, you know, just the anxious side, the stressed-out side. And on the other side, you have the relaxing digesting, you know, sort of laid-back, take-it-easy side of the nervous system. And one of the things that happens is that the body is sort of um, dualistic and diphasic, and what that means is essentially it likes to bounce back and forth to stay in balance. Uh, An an example of this is the Chinese uh, term yin and yang, which sort of uh, is gives, uh, you know, um, describes this in a really unique way. But anyway, what happens is when, when the metabolism gets damaged, what we do is we push ourselves into one side of that seesaw, and we keep ourselves there for too long. So the analogy I like to use is imagine a 300-pound man on one side of the seesaw and a little child on the other. What's going to happen is until that 300-pound man gets up, that child's just going to stay suspended in the air. And that's what happens with um, the metabolism, why it gets broken. But your question is, well, how do we fix it? Well, if you understand that analogy of the seesaw, now you need to understand that really what we need is we want balance on the seesaw, mm-hmm. right? So we want to either do a couple things. If we're going to eat less, then we also need to exercise less. And if we're going to exercise more, then we also need to eat more, right? Mm-hmm. That's how the mm-hmm. metabolism works. That's the way it likes to work. If you're going to eat less, you need to exercise less. If you're going to eat more, You need to exercise more. Athletes, if you look at your average elite athlete, are they eating less than the rest of the population? Nope. (laughs) They're eating a whole lot more. And it's part of the reason that they look lean and fit like they do. If you look at bodybuilders and figure athletes who are also very lean, they do the same thing. They're not eating less and exercising more, right? So what we don't want to do is we don't want to do opposites. We don't want to eat less and exercise more because that's not going to get that seesaw back in balance. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to eat more and exercise less, which is what the average American does, (laughs) you know, when they sit down and they're eating all this food. Both of those things are going to cause damage. The fact that we haven't figured out, we figured out that eating more and exercising less is a problem. We just haven't figured out that the reverse is also a problem. So if you're you're someone who loves exercise and you've gotten yourself into the state, 
you're going to need to realize that you're going to have to figure out how to feed your body. And then the second piece of that, so hopefully that makes sense, that we have to do one or the other. And it depends on the person. Um, if you, they still have the energy to exercise, then we got to feed them more. If they're completely fatigued, and, and you and I work with this all the time, Lauren, where their thyroid is shot and their adrenal glands are you know, fatigued, then they're probably going to end up more in that eat less, uh, exercise less category. And I should say, when I say eat less, by the way, it's more eat smarter, not necessarily right. less food. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then what we need to do is we need to begin to heal the body and restore the body. And two of the best things to restore the nervous system, in my mind, are, well, there's three things, really, um, but the, the two most important are sleep and then leisure walking. Walking, slow, nice, leisure walking. It's the only form of exercise that actually lowers cortisol and is restorative while it burns calories and also helps sort of tonify, for lack of a better term, the whole nervous system, balances out the nervous system. It's both stimulating a little bit and relaxing, right? So mm-hmm. ton of leisure walking. And then doing some things that help us regain the muscle mass that we've lost through chronic dieting and stress. So weight training is uh, the next piece. So my piece would be, if you're dealing with this, it's make a decision on if you're not fatigued, then continue exercising, but increase the quality and quantity slightly of your calories and measure hunger, energy, and cravings to tell you how you're doing. If you're doing it right, your hunger will be low, your cravings will be low, your energy will be high, and you'll start losing fat. Okay? If you're someone who's fatigued, then you need to exercise less and eat less and then begin to really work on these restorative activities, sleeping, walking, and then weight training one to three times per week to maintain or regain um, the muscle mass that you've lost. This is sort of, I mean, I know I'm throwing a ton um, at, you know, everybody right now, but this really is um, the way this works for 80 to 90% of the people that I work with. Now, I know Lauren would tell you and I'll tell you, that, you know, some people it's it's more complicated than that because they have other endocrine things going on. But in general, most people who begin down that process um, will begin to see um, a result. And we use, you know, some, some uh, you know, adrenal support things and, you know, thyroid support things as well at my clinic, as I know you do as well, Lauren. But typically within three months, usually that's the minimum when you get yourself in this kind of trouble, up to 15 months, most of the people are restored and, you know, back on track and able to, you know, um, you know, get healthy and fit again. Absolutely. I could, I could see that, that most people doing this would be a whole new person at the end of three months. I mean, that is just, it's so simple, yet it's just it's vastly different from, pe- from what people naturally do, especially in our culture. So it's really, really great information. Yeah, it really is yeah. different, right? I mean, in terms of I mean, it's common sense. I know it's stuff that you and I, you know, sort of preach, and I think when people think about it, they're just like, yeah, that does make sense. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, you know, we humans are funny. Even I'm like this, and, you know, we, we just do this. When we hear something repeated over and over and over again out there in the world, even even though we might have a sense that it doesn't make complete sense, we humans, again, our need for certainty is not kind of be like, oh, well, 
even I sometimes slip back into that mindset of, oh, I've got to eat less and exercise more, and I have to catch right. myself. And that's, that's yeah. normal because that's the culture um, that we've sort of come up in. But we have to start thinking about ourselves and our individual metabolisms and how our metabolisms are responding versus what's being said in the popular, pop, you know, popular media. You know, we hear different things all the time. Oh, I should be taking green tea. Oh, I should be taking this fancy noni rainforest juice. Oh, I should be doing <laughs> this or that. You know, and it gets really frustrating for, for uh, all of us, right? You know, but ultimately what you need to be doing is what works for you. And right. that requires you to do some work and discovery. And if you're not willing to do that discovery, um, then your chances of being successful long-term in body change are slim to none, in my opinion. And that's sort of the, yeah. the hard, you know, sort of truth of it. And here's the thing. If you don't have the time or if you can't actually slow down to look at this in your life, then that means that there needs to be an adjustment, really. Right? <laughs> I, I, I absolutely think that that's exactly, you know, um, what, you know, it's something that if any of us on the line, anybody, anyone who's on the line right now, it's probably something we would tell our best friend, right? If we saw our best friend struggling with this, we could see it. But for whatever reason, again, humans are we're just these weird creatures. We can't see it in ourselves. But we would probably tell our best friend, hey, slow the hell down, relax a little bit, stop going on every diet program that comes around and figure out what works for you. It's probably the, the, the exact advice we would give to our best friend who is struggling. Yeah. Yet we do not do it for ourselves. Crazy how that works. I want to uh, take a few questions from fans here. So we have a, a Facebook fan here, Jackie. She says, and this kind of ties into what we are just talking about, does it get more difficult to lose weight when you have been going up and down with the numbers on the scale for, let's say, 15 years? <laughs> As a matter of fact, Jackie, not only does it get more tough, the research shows pretty conclusively, and this is what my next book, uh, you know, goes into a little bit, that dieting actually makes us fat. It actually makes us fat, and it actually makes our fat parts fatter, meaning that the parts of our body that we don't like, like the saddlebags and the uh, love handles and, you know, um, the hip and thigh fat and things like that, it actually makes those worse as well. And that's where sort of some of the shocking sort of research comes from. It's really starting to show us that repeat dieters, are having changes in their metabolism that make them better fat stores and also make their stubborn fat more stubborn. And, you know, I could certainly go into all the science of that. It's probably not the time, and it probably wouldn't make much sense to a whole lot of people. But uh, that is what's happening. And so, in other words, if you've been a yo-yo dieter, part of the reason that it's gotten harder for you is the yo-yo dieting itself. And so the way out is to stop dieting. Well, how do you stop dieting? Because with the word dieting, you know, you're saying, well, hey, Jay, you're saying dieting. Aren't you talking about changes to your diet? So it is sort of a, a, a weird term to be talking about because anytime you change your diet, I guess you could say you're on a diet. But what I mean is the standard idea of eating, you know, less and exercising more. That That's what I mean by diet. You have mm -hmm. to escape that by picking up this process or something similar. It doesn't have to be the process I use, but it has to be a way to track your metabolism, to figure out how it's responding, and to adjust and be the fat loss detective until you find what works for you. And so I know I, 
I'll go through it one more time the way I do it because I know it's sort of new for a lot of people, um, but here's the way to do it. If your metabolism is balanced, right, if you have no hunger or low hunger, your cravings are not there. In other words, you're not craving sweets after dinner, and your energy is high, you're not going to be thinking about food all the time. You're going to be more motivated to exercise, and it's going to be a lifestyle you can stay on. And so your first job to escape the diet is to begin to balance hunger, work to suppress cravings, and raise energy levels. And you begin tweaking your diet in ways to do that. So we know that there are certain foods that may take hunger away. Those tend to be protein-rich foods, vegetables, and fruits, because vegetables and fruits are both high in water and fiber. That's something that grains usually are not, right? So fruits, vegetables, proteins, and then fat and starch, which are not bad foods. So this idea that we should avoid all starch and go low-carb or go avoid all fat and go low-fat is not the correct way to think about it. The correct way to think about it is how much starch and or fat can my body tolerate? So maybe, you know, you have chicken breast and broccoli at night and you find that, lo and behold, if you add avocado to that meal, your cravings are gone at night and you're not hungry. Or maybe you're someone else that adds avocado and you still need sweet, but if you added brown rice instead, your cravings are gone and you're no longer hungry, right? Now, we don't think about food this way because we just think how many calories are in it, but food is sending information to our body and it's sending different information to all of us. And so there are some people, and I know there are people on the line who are nodding, being like, yeah, I get that. If I don't have starch at night, I crave ice cream. But when I do have starch, I tend to not crave ice cream. Or if I don't have starch at night, I can't sleep. But if I have starch, I can sleep, right? So we mm-hmm. we intuitively are, we, we, we know this anyway, a lot of us. When it's just that we've been talked out of it by the popular diet gurus and doctors, right? Right, right. I love that. I love how individualized it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first thing you do. So you start playing with it. You start saying, hey, you know, like I get questions like this, and and, uh, not to complicate things, but I want to show you guys how nuanced it can get. You know, I'm sure you're getting these questions too, Lauren, but a lot of people ask now. They're like, hey, I heard about this new fasting regime where I can fast for 16 hours and then I eat for eight hours straight. And, then, and they say, is that good or bad? And I say, well, um, after you finish that 16 hours, are you more or less likely to eat a whole large pizza? Or can you sit down and eat a sensible meal? And if they say, well, I'm more likely to have a large pizza, and as a matter of fact, I go and get ice cream that night because of that, then I'm going to say that really is not uh, the program for you. However, if you can go fast 16 hours, sit down for lunch, and eat, you know, uh, a, a nice green spinach salad with some salmon on top or something like that and feel uh, satiated without cravings and high energy and you're losing fat, then that's a great program for you. And that's how you need to start thinking about it. You know, um, it's not a myth. It's not um, wrong or right information unless it's wrong or right information from you. You know, so in other words, what I'm saying is it's about you. If you read some study, tomorrow, and, you know, in the paper, we're all going to pick up some study tomorrow that's going to say the exact opposite of what I just told you, right? You guys are going to read it in the paper or see it on, you know, <laughs> CNN or something. It's going to be like, you know, the information Jay told me tonight is completely wrong. Well, here's the thing you need to understand. If you're someone who's been, you know, who only eats lunch and dinner and has been lean your whole life, 
right? And all of a sudden you hear, you read a study that says only people who eat breakfast stay lean, right? Well, that's not true for you, right? That's right. not true for you. So if you start eating breakfast when you've never done that before and your hunger is balanced and your energy is high and you don't have cravings and you're a lean individual, why would you start now eating breakfast? You know, and that's the mm. thing that I think that we uh, tend to do wrong in our culture. There's a lot of gray that we want to try to make black and white, and we right. just simply cannot. And so what you need to do is begin the journey, what I feel like people need to do. Um, and I hope I'm, I don't mean, you know, I hope I'm not sounding condescending when I say that, but it's, I'm passionate about it. So what I think we really need to do, the problem is, is we need to start putting as much effort into creating and discovering the right diet for ourselves as we are putting into running around reading every diet book out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's refreshing, too, because, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening, they compare themselves to their friends and go, well, this worked for her. Why isn't it working for me? It's like, well, now you get to practice being an individual, and now you get to really learn what your body wants and what it feels best with. So I think it's it's very refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I think just like what you said, you know, at the beginning, you and I were both given a little bit of insight into our journey. You know, you said, you know, I'm, I tend to be more curvy. I like that look. I feel healthy and fit this way. That's how my mm-hmm. physiology works. For me, my physiology is a little bit different. I can't get away with either a very high-fat diet or a very high-starch diet, and I have to continue lifting weights and doing those kinds of things. If I don't, I tend to get bigger. Now, I've stumbled into my formula along the way, you know, but too often, you know, you and I do this for a living. So it's easier for us, and I realize that it's much easier for us. And so I do mm-hmm. apologize for the people who where this is not second nature to them, but I would say, you know, after, you know, thousands and thousands of clinical contacts and years and years of doing this in the fitness industry and as well as a, a integrated physician, I can say, you know, with certainty that the only way out of this sort of dieting mentality is to begin spending time with your metabolism rather than with someone else's. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. You listeners who are tuning in right now, we are um, going to open up the phone lines, 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919 for a few minutes. So call in and you can get your questions answered. Uh, this question is from Roxy on Facebook. She says, could hormonal imbalance be the reason why one cannot lose the fat? It, it certainly it certainly can be. And, and let's sort of define, because I know you and I, Lauren, will have different, uh, there's different sort of definitions of what people call hormonal imbalance. There is uh, literally diagnostic conditions that we can, you know, Lauren and I can run tests and we can see that you have a low thyroid and um, or you have, you know, uh, a pituitary tumor that's making you secrete too much cortisol or something like that. So that's one thing, and and those people tend to, uh, you know, be in a whole separate category, you know. So uh, hormones dramatically impact um, our ability to burn and lose fat, especially when you look at uh, people that have sort of these actual diseases. But I think the question the caller is asking is more along the lines of can, uh, you know, sort of these sort of hormonal imbalances created by stress or created by, uh, you know, certain foods that we eat, like if we eat too many starches and we make too much insulin or if we stress too much and we make too much cortisol or if we're someone that tends to be more estrogen dominant and have low progesterone and those kinds of things, will those impact the way that we 
uh, burn fat or not, and they absolutely will. However, Mm -hmm. I also want to be careful to say that um, there's a hierarchy to this, you know, so I think that people need to sort of understand that there is a hierarchy of hormones. So people might say, well, I'm estrogen dominant, and therefore I can't lose fat, and that may be um, part of the problem. However, when it comes to fat loss and hormones, we have to sort of look at a hierarchy. So if you think of a pyramid, the base of the pyramid, the most important hormones are going to be the ones that have the biggest impact on fuel metabolism. They're going to be really insulin and cortisol are sort of the big ones. And there's probably some that we don't quite know about yet either, but those tend to be the big ones. And then sort of the middle of the pyramid are, you know, things like uh, adrenaline and noradrenaline, the catecholamines and thyroid hormones. And then up at the base of the pyramid are things like estrogen and progesterone. So in other words, if you don't, a lot of people will be like, well, I have estrogen issues and therefore that's my issue. Well, normally if you correct the base of the pyramid, if you correct the insulin cortisol issues, there's a downstream effect and the estrogen and progesterone issues usually clear up. And usually even the adrenaline and uh, thyroid issues will oftentimes clear up. And so I do think that we jump to conclusions a lot of times where we're like, oh, I'm going to, I can't lose weight because I've got an adrenal fatigue issue and my practitioner recommended I take ashwagandha and holy basil and some other adrenal tonics. Yet you're still eating a 80%, you know, starch diet or a, you know, very high, you know, uh, fat diet or lots of foods that don't sit right with you and insulin and cortisol are, are not under control. So I do think that to answer the question, yes, absolutely, but I do think it can oftentimes be overblown, and I do think us in the natural health world sometimes do a disservice by blaming everything on hormones when uh, oftentimes it does come down to making some simple changes. So after you've made those changes, after you've gotten hunger, energy and cravings balanced, after you've sort of gotten stress under control and taken out uh, the 70% starch and fat diet that most of us eat, and you're still having issues or you're having other symptoms, like Lauren would tell you, you know, if you're having breast tenderness at menses and you're getting depressed around, you know, your menstrual period or you're holding lots of water or you have acne and, uh, you know, hair growth in certain areas, then we're going to start thinking, hey, maybe there's some PCOS going on that's, you know, happening here. Maybe there's some thyroid stuff that's going on. But we shouldn't jump to those conclusions right off the bat. For most people... And, Lauren, you can tell me if you see this, too, in your clinic. But I've seen plenty of people who I've measured with hypothyroid who go on, you know, a good fat loss diet and change their lifestyle, and those numbers clear up. And sometimes the numbers don't clear up, but they still burn fat just fine. And so we don't yeah, want to just totally. jump to conclusions that it's all about hormones, even though um, they are really important. When I talk about hormones, I think the major uh, importance of hormones is how they impact our hunger, energy, and cravings which dramatically impact whether or not we're able to stay on a program in the first place versus jumping into some of all the, you know, sort of esoteric, uh, well, esoteric is the wrong word, but sort of the um, out-of-the-norm sort of issues. Yeah, yeah. I love that analogy with the, the pyramid. That's really, really awesome. Let's jump to cellulite. That is something that so many women deal with. I think you said 90% of, of women deal with cellulite. So what's the deal with cellulite? What what causes this and what can we do about it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We did a cellulite program at Metabolic Effects simply because people ask 
about this all the time. And and it's right. it's first first and foremost, let's sort of um let's sort of put this in context because one of the things we do is we say a lot of people might say that you know cellulite is uh, simply fat, right? That's what I'm, I'm going to give you what sort of the the devil's advocate would say about this. Cellulite is fat, and if you just burn the fat, um, the cellulite largely goes away, right? And that's actually true for a large amount of women, right? I mean, that's certainly going to be true. I mean, I think uh, the cellulite will be reduced pretty dramatically. But then how do we explain um, some of these very thin women who uh, have very bad cellulite, very high grades of cellulite? How do we explain that? How do we explain some very overweight women who don't have much cellulite? Um, and really, this is a combination of a number of factors, and, and, and it is largely genetic, okay? Cellulite is largely genetic. I know that's not the thing that a lot of people want to hear, but it can always be improved upon. Um, and here's what sort of goes on. If you, if you can imagine a picket fence, right, straight up and down vertical lines, that's how women's collagen is from their muscle tissue, their fascia that covers their muscle all the way up into the dermis of the skin. And what that does is fat cells and fluid will sort of accumulate and get sort of pushed into these pockets. And that's what causes that dimpling and puckering. The reason men don't get this is because their collagen fibers run, run more like a cross-link fence. So they don't have this straight up and down distribution. And so the first thing about getting, that's what causes cellulite. It's because, um, you know, some women have sort of a hybrid between that cross-link fence and the picket fence distribution. And, and they'll be more like men. They're the ones that, um, you know, all the girls hate because they're like, you have no cellulite and I'm thinner than you, but you have no cellulite. Um, those are those types of women. And the reason men don't get them is because, uh, or if a man does have it, it means that they're more like a woman. So there's genetic variation in this. But the question is, how would you get rid of this? Well, there's several ways to do it. Obviously, I've told you that fat accumulation is a big factor, and also the fiber, um, you know, the collagen fibers are another big factor. Right, And so the, the thing that you want to do is there's two ways, and to make this as simple as possible, there's two ways to deal with this. One, you need to burn the fat. And the other thing is you need to do something to tighten up these collagen fibers. And the best way to do that is to build muscle because the muscle then pulls on the fascia, which then pulls on the collagen fibers, which then tightens and lifts everything up. So you've probably all seen the famous uh, pictures in, like, Us Magazine and People Magazine where – they have the celebrity who is thin and tiny. They have the picture of the butt there, and she's got this flabby pancake butt with cellulite on it. And then there's yeah. this other, you know, um, you know, celebrity who has a bigger butt without the cellulite, and it's not flabby, right? Well, typically mm -hmm. there's some genetics going on there, but typically the person who has sort of a flat pancake butt is usually mm -hmm. the person who's a dieter and doesn't lift weights. And the one mm -hmm. on the other side is someone who tends to lift weights and feeds their body, and there's also some genetic variation in there, but that's the difference. It's are you dieting and doing a ton of cardio, or are you dieting and doing some cardio with some weight training, and you're going to get a completely different effect. Now, there's some other things that go into this. There's uh, stubborn fat in the lower body of women that we can, Lauren and I can use special techniques to try to help get rid of that, certain supplements and things like that. But in general, that's what it's about. You know, so if you want to sort of um, lift the booty, get you know, make the cellulite go down. You got to burn the fat. You got to sort of build the muscle, and then to burn the fat on the lower body. 
there are some special techniques. So I know you guys are like, okay, Jay, tell me the special techniques. So I will tell you a couple. <laughs> the, the number one thing is that women have, and this is going to get a little sciencey, but I know a lot of people want to hear this stuff, but here's the difference. Women in the lower body have what are called uh, alpha, alpha receptors that are higher in density. There's more of them in the lower body of women than there are in men. And these alpha receptors act as anti-breaks. They, they put the brakes on fat loss. And this is largely determined by estrogen. So estrogen makes women have more of these. Well, these alpha receptors um, are lessened in their influence under low insulin uh, environments. And so this is where sort of the lower carbohydrate diet that bodybuilders use when they're getting ready for shows to get their legs lean comes from because insulin levels that are high make these alpha receptors that women have in their lower body more active and insulin, low insulin levels make them less active. And so the first step to getting rid of cellulite, the fat in that area, for most women is to adapt not a low-calorie diet but more of a low-carb diet um, for short periods of time. Because if you do it for too long, hunger, energy, and cravings are going to get thrown out of whack and you're going to just end up with a rebound. And so typically what I do is have people go lower-carb for about a week and then go back to a normal diet for a week. And then there's two uh, supplements that we use. One is called green tea, and the other one is called coleus for scoli, which can bypass these receptors. And I have a blog on that. You know, I don't want you guys to feel like I'm selling you things because that's not what I'm doing here on this call tonight. I do have a blog that we wrote on metabolic effect that I think, Lauren, you may have linked to. That blog sort of goes through this. But just understand that uh, cellulite is largely about burning fat, but it's not just about burning fat. So don't believe some of these coaches who, you know, get very upset because they're like, oh, my God, you know, Jade and Metabolic Effect are just trying to make money off, you know, um, you know people's cellulite, and there's nothing you can really do about it. It's largely because they work with people who both lift weights and uh, eat right and do figure and fitness competitions, and those people tend not to have cellulite. If you want to sort of, uh, because they live this low-carb diet, and this weight training uh, regime, and they do things the way I'm describing them here. And that's all this program and this blog that I'm pointing to you tell you to do. So it can be dealt with. Um, you probably, you know, the hard truth of cellulite is women who have really bad cellulite probably will never get rid of it completely because there is a big genetic component, but they can reduce it significantly. So I hope that's enough sort of um, insight into cellulite. Yeah, I love the program too, Jade. I mean, I checked it out today. I I've been so slammed. I've been had a, a lot of time to like really, you know, look at all the stuff you've been doing. But the cellulite program looks really freaking awesome. I'm excited to point patients to that direction because, you know, obviously me working with patients, you know, doing appointments. I I'm not out there in the trenches, you know, working out with them and actually seeing what they're doing. So to be able to have that as a tool for them, it's great. It looks awesome. Nice work. Oh, that's sweet. I mean, it's, you know, it's nice to hear from another professional. I mean, I think for people on the line to sort of understand, it really is just, uh, you know, a, a program that teaches the basics of what I just described. So there's nothing really fancy or uh, gimmicky in it, even though the name is a bit gimmicky in terms of, you know, when people hear cellulite, they're like, oh, a cellulite program, that must be a gimmicky program. But all it really right. is is just basically teaching you um, these aspects of, you know, building how to build muscle and target fat loss specifically to the lower body. And that can be done. 
Yeah. Well, you have to have something catchy to get people, you know, actually clicking on your stuff. And once they're there, then you can really do the magic and actually educate them about what the real deal is, you know. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. That, that's absolutely true. And I'm, I know that uh, consumers are savvy to that. That is sort of um, the nature of, of the reality that we live in now. You know, you do kind of have to, uh, you know, be a bit gimmicky or, you know, um, you know, market in specific ways. But I think, uh, you know, with all of our programs at Metabolic Effect, and I think this is something that anyone who's looking at doing any program, especially in the health and fitness world, and I'm big on this, is that, you know, people who are doing good work and they know that they can get results, there should definitely be a money-back guarantee. And so, you know, all our programs come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Awesome. So what what are the website um, names for, for those listening who didn't get a chance to write that down? My my website um, is www.metabolicaffect.com, and you can uh, go to our blog, which is where you're going to get most of the resources, which is blog.metabolicaffect.com. And then um, please check us out on Facebook. We have a, a big fan base there. We answer questions. We post a lot, and that's facebook.com slash metabolicaffect. I love your little trivia questions on your Facebook page. You guys still do that? Yeah, you know, people are missing that. We're not doing it as much because Keone and I used to do that a lot ourselves, and we're not on there as much anymore. But, yeah, a lot of people are clamoring for that. <laughs> I used to always answer the questions first. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> got really into it. <laughs> I, yeah, I definitely need to get back to that because we enjoyed it too. But we've just, like I said, 2012 has been a, an awesome, you know, crazy great year for us. But uh, Keone and I were doing some other projects, so, we really like to be on there. You know, I think a lot of people are shocked that we're on there so much, but it's cool to get a chance to, you know, connect with everyone. So we're trying to – our goal for 2013, one of our resolutions is to be on Facebook a bit more. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, I'm sure 2013 is going to be even better than 2012. Um, any parting words for our listeners before we wrap up tonight? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the main thing – first of all, Lauren, thanks so much for having me. I always love, you know, sort of hanging of out with you. So. Thanks so much. But one of the things I would say um, to everyone on the line is that, you know, I really, this is something that um, I'm very passionate about, obviously, and I think we all really need to start asking ourselves the hard questions. For some reason, uh, we humans would rather be looking for something to do rather than doing something. And I think that, you know, if you're someone who's been struggling and you're on this call because you're like you're looking for the thing and you're, you know, sort of frustrated and tired of the yo-yo dieting, um, don't you don't have to come and do any of my programs. You know, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say, though, is you do, I feel, need to finally take a hard look at yourself and begin to say, you know what, I'm going to stop being the dieter. That does not work. If, if 10, 15 years, 5 years is not enough evidence to you that it does not work, please start doing something else. And that something else is start paying attention to your metabolism. Use the information I gave you. Hunger, energy, and cravings will never steer you wrong. If your program is balancing hunger, stabilizing energy, and taking away your cravings, and you're losing fat, you have found the program for you. And that should be your mission in 2013, as far as I'm concerned. Any way that it happens, that should be your mission. It's mm, great. Love it. It's so awesome. Jay, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I really enjoyed it. And now you get to go to bed and get your 8 to 10 hours of sleep. <laughs> That's right. All right, Lauren. <laughs> thanks so much. Everyone take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Jay. Bye.
right, bye. All right, you guys, that's the show. Thanks for tuning in. It's so great to be with y'all. 2013, I got a little bit of Jade twang in my voice. Good to be with y'all. <laughs> um, tune in to next week's show, Tuesday, same time, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. And, of course, if you guys miss the live show, you can always listen to any of the shows on iTunes in the podcast. Just type in Dr. Low Radio, and I have at least 60 shows on there you guys can catch up on. So love it. Great show. Check me out, DrLaurenNoel.com, and I'll check you guys next week. Have a great rest of your week. Bye. North Pole Hotline. Help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supply. See stores for details. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.